David, can you turn, uh, go up with the slider dimmers on that light switch just down low there? There's one that's almost hidden there. Thank you so much. We can bring those lights back up. Uh, guys, just so glad to see you guys, uh, to be together as brothers and as family, and to have our cousins from Burns over with us, and our cousins from John Day visiting. It's just so great to be together that time of year again. So fantastic. Really is powerful being here the week after fasting. Um, I know all the other Burns and John Day and Primeville and um, well, Coos Bay too, huh? Yeah. What, what are you, chocolate liver? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, <laughs> Just We've all been fasting, seeking the Lord, and we're here just believing that God's going to move. Um, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, tonight's going to be crazy. I'm just saying that out, trusting that the Lord has something for us. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys were there on Sunday when we were in Acts chapter 19, and I taught on the seven sons of Sceva, trying to cast out the demon, um, and just that demon just like, whooped up on him and just beat him and stripped him down naked and had him chased away. Like, uh, ever since, uh, talking about that instance in the book of Acts and that that prompted the Ephesians to bring all of their garbage that was witchcraft books and just worth 50, you know, thousand shekels of silver, um, and just burn it. Um, that just got me just thinking like, man, what sort of like demonic stuff do we have going on in our communities that if we were to like burn all our stuff, um, there would be a revival in our city, you know? And after I taught on that pretty soon afterwards came the week of prayer and fasting. And I teach two teachings leading up to that to really prep us for fasting. And like everything I was reading this year kept pointing to the power that fasting has over um, spiritual darkness and spiritual warfare and spiritual oppression and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And so I would be reading guys that have been very well respected among my community of, of um, teachers, and they would be throwing these things in there regarding spiritual stuff. And I'm like, whoa, but that, is that like where Calvary Chapel lands on this, you know? And, and just the more I was just like reading and studying, I'm like, perhaps this would be like a distinctive or an open-handed gray area that we could probably learn a little bit from, from maybe people that, you know, don't have a dove, you know, glossed onto their church window, you know? <laughs> the Calvary Chapel does, in case you wondered what I'm talking about, you know. All that to say, um, just going into the fast, I just felt that the Lord was like, men's muster, it's about spiritual warfare. Um, and that was kind of weird. Like, I was like, I don't know, spiritual warfare, like, only the, the weirdos kind of get into that stuff, right? And when I was in middle school, I went to a pretty Pentecostal church, and uh Checked out a book from the church library called Piercing the Darkness by Frank Peretti. Don't ever have your middle schoolers read that book. Oh my gosh. Raise your hand if you've read Frank Peretti stuff. 
Okay. If you never want to close the door while you go to the bathroom again, read Frank Peretti. If you want to have your little sister help you take the garbage out to the dark side of the house, read Frank Peretti, okay? If you want to be looking for a demon behind every bush, read Frank Peretti, okay? And that was me, like, for a couple years in middle school, you know? I was like, oh, ah, oh, you know? And so we can kind of, I think within evangelicalism, there could be, like, a pendulum swing that's like, you know, it, I'm not really, I don't mean to knock Frank Preddy because I think there's probably a value in some of that just, like, thinking about stuff and what it could be like. But maybe that would be, like, a pendulum swing over here that's, like, um, like, you're looking for demons, like, I remember, like, there was a book where the angels were hanging out on the rafters of a building, and there were demons over on that side on the rafters, you know, and so I'm always like, I wonder what's up on those rafters, you know. Luckily, we have an enclosed roof, and so there's nothing on those rafters tonight, but, um, so, so talking with, you know, Daniel, who's going to be sharing, and Josh, we're just praying, and I'm just like, I mean, I'd be happy to yield, and we could talk about something else. You know, and the Lord's like, no, this is what I have for you guys. And I think maybe my teaching tonight might be a little the pendulum swing over here. Swing, it's Hebrew. All of us, Israel. Anyone who went to Israel this fall, we're all about the shepherd and the swing. You know, the, and you know, and I think it's going to be good because tomorrow I think Josh and Daniel are going to be like, okay, and here's just some more like kind of everyday stuff that we can just put in our pocket for the everyday stuff. And I'm going to bring in. I really feel like um, that there's stuff in us and in our wives and in our families and in our community that, I mean, it's Frank Freddie's book's called Piercing the Darkness. And I think like the Lord wants to pierce the darkness. So um, if you're ready for it, <laughs> okay. Okay. So will you guys just hear me out in the sense that let's just come like we want to be. Bible-based, Bible-believing, whatever the word has for us. And we realize that there are things out there that there's not like a real how-to manual on. And even proof texts that we use sometimes for kind of where we land, even I was like, well, you know, it says this. And then I'm like, I don't know that that's a real good argument. It's not bad, but... But it made me think like some of these guys that have been working real hard on this subject, I think it's worth a listen. I think it's worth open Bibles. I think it's worth, uh, I love what Alistair Bang always says, that the Bible says it and my experience confirms it. And I think that kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight is like there's, like if I was living back in Bible days and in Jesus times, this is what we're seeing And then if you're in ministry for any given amount of time, or you go on the mission field, or you're at like a church prayer meeting and, you know, or if you're doing counseling, marriage counseling and counseling teenagers, and they're cutting themselves and all kinds of stuff, you start, I think that there's something to what what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I just come to you humbly saying, I have been studying my brains out and fasting about this. And I, and I just want to present something that we can be praying about for this weekend. The Lord might want to do something this weekend. And it's maybe something that he wants to open up for like some ministry back home and see what the Lord will do. So here's the title. (laughs) 
demonism, demonic oppression, and the victory of the gospel for the man of God. Okay, so let's pray. And so, Lord, you heard all of that, and you know my wrestling throughout the week, and the books that I've been reading, and the, the conversations that I've had, and and what's just on my heart for the homes here, the men here, for myself, for my son, uh, for all of us, Lord. And I just, I don't want anything that's not of you. We don't want to hear it, Lord. But we do want to be open to maybe what you would give us discernment over in uh, what's going on behind the scenes of our lives, of our marriages, um, of our sin struggles, Lord. And so, uh, Lord, help us to chew the meat and spit out the bones where that's necessary today. And, and just let love be paramount as we study your word in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so one thing that sometimes has kept me away from studying much about uh, demonism and demon possession is fear. Um, I've had a few things in my life that have happened uh, in middle school. So I was raised in a Christian home, raised Baptist. And in middle school, I started like rebelling against my family and my parents. Got a real attitude, thought I knew it all. And there was, there were major spiritual warfare going on in my home. And uh, every night when I'd go to bed, uh, as I was starting to, you know, go to sleep, my bed would shift. And like my bed would get rocked and it would just wiggle me and launch me. It's not the like little jolt that you have, you know, when you're kind of, your your muscles twitch. It was like, I was waiting for it because it was happening every night. And then there would be times where something would sit on my bed and I'd hear the spring squish down and I would, I, and we were down in an unfinished basement. My parents lived upstairs or, you know, their rooms were upstairs. My bed was downstairs in this unfinished basement that had like a cellar and it was kind of scary. And I would just bolt up the stairs and shake my mom and dad and just, ah, you know, and uh, they're like, just say the name of Jesus. Just say the name of Jesus. And I'm like, that's not doing anything, you know, and, and I play Christian music. I'm like playing Christian music, turn it up, got the Christian music on, you know, and you're just like, okay. And then it would happen and for a number of nights. And, and that was a real pivotal moment in my life where it was, I think it was where the Lord was like, are you going to live for me? Are you going to live for the world? There's a lot of compromise. There was a lot of worldliness, a lot of foul language, not a lot of belief. And there was warfare about what direction. It was within a year that I started living for Jesus totally. And I've had a few things like that happen on mission trips to Nepal, sitting next to Dust, sleeping next to Dustin Cossett. But it didn't even scare me anymore um, because I was walking with Jesus and I just like had this shield about me. It was like, I just, it didn't even scare me. You know, I've had... Um, my first youth camp uh, that I ever did, um, I think Chris was at it, uh, I had something pin me down in my bed at night, and I opened my eyes, and all I could see was the silhouette of this spiky-haired strong man holding me down in my bed, and I couldn't move. Okay, so like, these sorts of things kind of happen, and a lot of people have them happen, uh, and so, but as much as you can kind of avoid it, you kind of avoid it, right? Like, I mean, I'm not looking for an exorcism, you know, I'm not looking to live the exorcism of Emily Rose, seen that movie, you know, it's like, I don't want that to just be something I encounter today. 
And so that's something that maybe for me has caused me to avoid um, even like diving into the subject of what maybe has, it goes on in America and in Primeville, let alone in these third world countries that we visit so often. Uh, so one man said, is it true that some, as some say that the less a person knows or studies about spiritual warfare, the less opposition he will face? If this is true, then ignorance really is bliss. And so it's like, oh, if I just pretend that it's something from the old days in the Bible, you know, or something that happens over in India, then um, I'm good, you know, but then we're just missing out on the, the war that's happening right in front of us. Uh, in his insightful booklet entitled Demonism, Chuck Swindoll asks, how many good fighters refuse to study how their opponents fight? The obvious answer is none. No good, no good fighters refuse to study how their opponents fight. Fighters who refuse to study film are soon nicknamed Canvas Bat Jack because that's where they're going to be spending most of their time flat on their backs. So we want to move out of, from being Canvas Bat Jack, you know, and be a part of the fight. Ignorance of a competitor is not an advantage in athletics, in business, or in spiritual warfare. What if our presuppositions concerning oppression and possessions are mistaken or incomplete? Uh, when we're uh, ambiguous on this subject, it can be frustrating to the people we love and that are counting on us to fight battles with and for them. Uh, as we serve and teach other people, um, well-known evangelical Bible teachers like John MacArthur and Charles Swindoll have different views on this particular issue. Both guys love the Lord. Both are committed to consistent Bible teaching. Their difference of opinion concerning the potential demonism or demonization of true Christians ought to serve notice that we should approach the subject with prayerful consideration rather than our presuppositional dogmatism or arrogance. And I, guys, I, I've got my Calvary Chapel Distinctives book proudly displayed on my bookshelf, right? I know who I am and I know what I love. And I know that there's some things that need to grow in me concerning this subject. There's a category concerning spiritual conflict that a growing number of evangelical leaders and writers have openly been discussing. Men like Merrill Unger, Mark Bubeck, Ed Murphy, Fred Dickinson, Charles Swindle, Neil Anderson. And they use terms like this. Demonization, invasion, infestation, while they're speaking about real demonic problems that are troubling genuine believers. Their message includes concerns about the reality of oppression, which we might call the fiery arrows of the wicked one. We'll see those in Ephesians chapter six. So oppression or possession, which is total demonic uh, domination and control of a person. And it focuses, these studies focus on the degree of control that demons can exercise over Christians. Listen to this who are foolish enough, Christians who are foolish enough to willingly allow demonic spirits to gain control over areas of their lives that the Holy Spirit should control. And Christian brothers have areas 
that they say all of this is for the Lord and this I want it and I don't care if it's demonic. I'm kind of comfortable with it being demonic. I'm comfortable with angels and and maybe I'm comfortable with this guy that masquerades as an angel of light. Kurt Payne, great resource. You guys, Kurt Payne read his, I'm at 90% of his Kindle book, listening to it at one and a half times this week. Um, So it's, the kids are like, who are we listening to? You know, it's just super fast and I'm trying to process, but this guy, guys, I was looking for books this week and you've got just this wide variety of just, you look at it and you see their, you know, $10,000 suit in their mega church and their, you know, TBN, you know, contract and you're like, nope, (laughs) you know, and then you see the guy that's like in the trenches in his deliverance ministry you know, he's got a, a horseshoe on his head of, that almost looks like a monk. And he's like, I'm just balding natural. I don't have time to trim this bad boy, you know. And, and he's a guy with like major degrees from seminaries that, that I respect, you know, um, that are Bible teaching, know how to study the Bible and know how to serve people with the love of Jesus. And this guy has done his work and he's got people flooding to him that are Christians that are in bondage and are just in over their heads with dark stuff happening to them that they're like, I don't even know what's going on, okay? And so he wrote this really good book and I'll share it with you guys and you'll do good to buy it and read it and have it on your shelf. But he writes this, scripture allows and experience indicates that typical oppression slash possession paradigm divisions are not adequate to fully explain all of our temptations and struggles. And if you know what I'm talking about, it's this. We typically say, you know, hey, pastor, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And, you know, Ira's in the room. He's a pastor. You know, Josh is in the room. We lots of pastors here. And we would typically say a Christian cannot be totally possessed, right? Um, but they can be oppressed, right? It's like our token word, right? Um, and, and it's not wrong, but maybe it's incomplete, Okay, and so there's some helpful guys that are living in these ministries that say maybe it's just it's there's a paradigm that we've made that that maybe isn't at all. Okay, Um, it goes on to say missionaries have discussed the problem of demonic bondage among genuine believers for years, but we're often slow hearing, much less accepting things that make us feel uncomfortable. If we accept the possibility of a Christian under actual demonic attack, which is more severe than oppression, but not the total domination and control commonly referred to as demonic possession, spiritual warfare becomes a more complicated subject than a conventional oppression possession paradigm and that what that model suggests. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at some scripture here. Can I tell another story, though? Because if I don't tell it, I'll forget. I'll just start getting into the Bible. Uh, so 2017, we went to Nepal. Uh, 2015, I went to Nepal. And we've gone almost every year since, except for COVID. Um, my first year, we were riding in the back of these four by four Jeeps, you know, four low country, you know, and we're, on the, we're in the back of this cage in this Jeep. And it's just, we're rock crawling. We hit a boulder that punctured our fuel tank and we were losing fuel and we had to patch it with a flip-flop and a bar of soap is how we, you know, wedging a flip-flop up in, against the spare tire and hold, you know, and all this. And, and uh, we're driving up through the mountains and just, um, and I look and I see these beautiful little mountain lakes 
with the Tibetan prayer flags, the rainbow color. It's not rainbow, you know, it's the primary colors, you know, all around, just flags all around these lakes. And as you go, you're like, these are like pretty little spots. And I tell our guide, what pretty little picnic spots, these Himalaya lakes. And he goes, you don't want to go there. I'm like, why not? He says, because all of these high placed lakes are places where demons manifest themselves. And the villagers know it. And whole villages will come out and worship the demons there. And as I began to learn about Nepal, uh, before I jump into that, he says, there's a lake up in, uh, uh, up in this one area. And he says, a giant duck demon. No surprise. Go bees. Um, a giant duck demon. Sorry, Nate. Nate, just chill. Okay, well, okay. The enemy's attacking you right now, bro. Just don't let it. Okay. But Nate knows what I'm talking about. Nate, we're going to, yeah, bro. Okay, so uh, it says, shows up, just has the appearance of this, you know, kind of a face like a duck, probably just like, you know, Instagram or whatever. And, uh, and he brings with him these demons and they come up out of this lake once a year. And he says that uh, the whole village comes and is forced to pay these demons homage. They all see them. And if they don't pay homage, then these demons will... Um, will attack them all year long. But he says there's this old man in the village that's a thousand feet below what they call Demon Lake. And this old man's name is King. His parents were the first Christians in the district and the Buddhist monks martyred them because they wouldn't deny Jesus. So King was was a surviving only child. He's raised, becomes a Christian, and he starts witnessing to the witch doctor in the village. His name's Prim. Prim ends up getting saved and uh, is radically saved out of being a, a witch doctor. And they feel like, well, they need to know the scriptures about Yesu, about Jesus, but none of them know how to read. So they fast for a Bible and to learn how to read. And in a day, they get a Bible and Prim learns how to read the Bible. They start preaching, the, preaching Jesus in this little village. People start getting saved and they say, it's time to go confront the duck demon. And they go up a thousand feet up to the day that the demons appear and they stand in front of the demon and they rebuke all the demons and say, you're not welcome here anymore. We're claiming this lake in the name of Jesus. And the demons flee and everybody knows that it was the God that Prim and King worship that brought the freedom. So we're riding in the Jeep and we hear about that demon lake. And I was like, that's crazy. I never want to go there. You know, I remember when my bed used to squish it. And I, I do not want to go there. Okay. And, uh, and so that was 2015. In 2017, guess where we go on our trek? Demon lake. Okay. Nate was there. Dustin Costit was there. David Newberger was there. Who else was on that trip? Anybody else on that trip? So we start out down low trekking and we're with Mountain Child and, and they're the organization over there and they trek all the time. It's what they do. They trek the mountains of the Himalayas. Um, and uh, we hike 500 feet up and there's a Buddhist stupa, which is like a holy worship spot, you know, that they will all worship. You're supposed to walk around the right side of it. You know, it's like the polite worshipful thing to do. Well, we stopped there to just catch a little breath and kind of put some, take off a layer and stuff. And a girl that was with Mountain Child that was with us, uh, a photographer, taking our pictures, she's leaning against the stupa and uh, just collapses. 
And uh, so we're like, whoa, crazy. And with a big heavy pack on and we pick her up and we're like, what's, are you okay? She's like, this is really weird. I've never had that happen to me before. We're like, okay, just here, drink some water and eat some goo, you know, and all this and just take a minute. And like, okay, she puts her pack back on and she faints again. And like, we can't take you on this trek. Like you're kind of a liability. We don't know. What's so we send her back down the hill and we start hiking. We start going straight up this mountain face. And it was one of the hardest treks we'd done up until that point. Very hard getting up. We're praying for each other and we're just mount, you know, machining up this thing. And we get all the way up to where um, we're going to stay. We're a thousand feet below Demon Lake. And uh, in the morning, we were just sensing like some spiritual heaviness and some stuff. Like You're just like, man, I don't know. I just sense there's something weird going on. And uh, our guide, Luke, who's just a real good friend, and I've been on three trips with him before, and he runs up with his pack. I was like, I want to be like that. I want to run up the mountain. He runs up, and he's standing there getting ready. We're getting ready to go, and he just collapses. And as he collapses, he hits his face on the table and, and, and lands in your lap. <laughs> and Nate's sitting there, and his face lands in Nate's lap, and Nate's like, you know, it kind of wakes him up and Luke just goes, there is such crazy warfare going on right now. This never happens to him. He's like, we never have people fainting. We never have. He's like, guys, it's because we're going up to Demon Lake, you know? And so we start hiking that day and we left all our packs behind and we are just like one foot at a time in it. Up this. Like we, we have no strength. We have no energy. And we get up to the top. And even though the demons haven't been showing up, you just sense the heaviness. And people are still setting up little things to worship them there. And it was just, we call it the visit to Demon Lake, you know. And uh, just crazy how things like that happen. That just You're passing out as you're going to be going about the Lord's business. And that is just an example of one way that there could be some sort of oppression or some sort of an attack against you as you're just going about the, the will of the Lord. We were just going up there to pray and to solidify. Our vision was to solidify the work that Prim and King had done through prayer and intercession. And the enemy didn't want us up there, you guys. Um, and so let's just look at, uh, let's look at Job. We're just going to, I got the verses for you. We're going to put them up there. I'm just going to look at key phrases that we go through a little bit of the Old Testament and some New Testament verses. Okay, so Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And we know that as you study um, the Satan, you know, it's kind of the proper Hebrew way to say it, the Satan. Um, cause he is the slanderer, the accuser, uh, the deceiver. And when you look at revelation, which we'll study later, what is he doing as he goes around throughout the world? He's deceiving people and he's slandering people. What does he do before the court of the Lord on days like this in Job? He is standing in front of the righteous judge, bringing accusations against the children of the Lord. And so as he's there, he says, hey, where have you been, uh, Satan? Well, from going to and fro throughout the world. And then in verse 11, but uh, you guys know the whole story. Like, have you thought about my servant Job, you know? And Satan's just like, oh, he only likes you because you never do anything to him, you know? And so uh, the Lord tells Job, hey, you can stretch out your hand and touch all that Job has. 
and he will surely curse you to your, um, I'm sorry, this is Satan talking to God and saying, Lord, if you stretch out your hand, you touch all that he has. Job will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So he has um, permission to go out and, and start messing with and attacking all that he has. And so when you go and read the Job story, there's winds and natural disasters and earthquakes and all kinds of things that happen that are satanic that cause these trials and these tribulations to come upon Job's life. And then the story continues in Job chapter two. Again, there was a day, verse one, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered and said, Uh, to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And so we see just this uh, demonic attack, this devilish satanic attack against this man of the Lord, against his possessions, against his family. His kids died. You know the story. And, uh, and then against his body here, uh, verse seven is a little more profound when it says that he went from the presence of the Lord and Satan struck Job with these health things, right? Painful boils from the sole of the foot to the crown of his head. When you go to the New Testament, um, Acts chapter five, and let me, before we get into the New Testament, I just, I looked at a whole bunch of Old Testament things. And it's interesting, Moses writes about demons when he writes about idol worship in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. When, whenever you would worship an idol, you are worshiping demons. And it's very strong language. I, I kind of had to filter all the verses that I would use tonight. It's like, ah, I'm not going to go there. But I think it's important to know that, that when Moses is, tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that if we're going to worship and go worship the golden calves says that those golden calves that they worship, the golden calf and the golden calves of Jeroboam, they were, it was demonic. And so all that we went through this last week at Prineville studying Jeremiah and the idolatry and we, what do we do? We confess our idols before the Lord. Do you think our idols that are probably worse than what they were worshiping back in the day, do you think those are any less demonic than what uh, Moses would write about or, or Samuel would write about? Like guarantee the level of demonic like stuff going on is the same. Okay. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at what's going on in the world and what each one of our idols has created in our culture and what it's done and how it's turned hearts away from the living God. And so, uh, so a little note there in your notes that whenever we are worshiping our idols, we're partaking in Satan worship. Okay. Uh, now, in the New Testament, we're just looking in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and we see this certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. He sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. 
His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, and here's the underline, guys. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? It just goes on to say, you have not lied to men, but to God. So here's an interesting thing, okay? And here's kind of the classic wrestle is whenever we talk about people struggling in sin, is it's like, well, are they even really born again? Are they really Christians? And so when you look at all the counseling going on and all the struggles in your guys' homes and all the, all the temptations that you have, and it's like, you guys, we walk through the battles together. We go through the fasts together. We go through the word together. We're in core group together. And you're just always struggling with the same things and the same things. And I think it's just, I'm just feeling like it's such a cruel cop-out to just kind of brush you away you who struggle and just be like, I just don't think they're really a believer. I, I just don't think they're really saved. And maybe for us to go about Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, just, you know, just think that they, I mean, they were a part of everything. They were living with the early church. They're going to be made an example of at the beginning of the New Testament period. It's like, you don't lie to the Holy Spirit. You don't lie when you're given to the Lord. And everyone ever since is like, we won't. <laughs> and you know what? Like, they just weren't really Christians. And I don't know that that's the right conclusion. Maybe. Maybe, okay. But maybe not. Maybe Ananias was really a brother who was moved by watching Barnabas give a, a chunk of land as a donation. And he's going to give a chunk of land too. And then as they're talking about it, they're talking about, oh, is this a good idea? I don't know, you know, and they're like, Mate, well, let's just say we gave it and we're going to keep back apart. No one's even going to know. And it's like the Lord knows. But it says here that from Peter to Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. That's, that's some satanic stuff, isn't it? And so apparently, in this case, I just humbly submit this for consideration. The same level that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit to be used by the Lord for wonderful things. If you are going to surrender a part of yourself to the world and the flesh and your ways and your understanding and you're not going to trust the Lord and you're going to go ahead and lie like Satan, who's the liar and has always been a liar from the beginning, Jesus says in John chapter 8. And in this one time you're going to do that, apparently Satan can fill your heart to do just that. Do you see the struggle? Do, do you see the... Do you see the... Um, the foothold that the enemy can have in a moment. Don't, don't worry, there's some hope. Okay, there's going to be hope towards the end. <laughs> All right. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Have you ever had that? We have that in the church, you know? Like something's going on and, and it's like, hey, but they forgave them. It's like, then I totally forgive them. Just helpful when someone kind of leads that charge in forgiving. For I indeed... I've forgiven anything. I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest, lest Satan should take advantage of us. 
For we are not ignorant of his devices. In one of my books, oh, I, I'm going to be honest with you, there were a couple books throughout the season. There was the one big one, Spiritual Warfare by Kurt Payne. But he writes about in his ministry and his experience, um, two of the biggest sins and footholds for the enemy that he sees people have demonic um, oppression and major attack that just consumes them are number one, unforgiveness and fear. Like, that's not really what I would think it would be. <laughs> you know? But he's like, because he, he has missionary kids coming in and getting like counseling for like demonic stuff going on. Uh, he has pastors' wives and pastors coming in. And so these are, these are people that like kind of in some of the big, more heinous sins, it's like, yeah, like we weeded that out a long time ago. Oh, but you've got this bitterness in your heart towards this person and you don't trust the Lord to forgive it. Or you're afraid that the Lord is going to let something happen and you don't believe God and that he's in control. And you're, you're buying into the same lie that Eve bought into in the garden. It's no different. And so that's why Paul says to the Corinthians, you got to forgive. And if I hear you forgiven so-and-so, man, I've forgiven them too. Let's just, we're in the business of forgiving, lest Satan should take advantage of us. Think of that, take advantage. If you're taking advantage of someone, if you take advantage of, of a girl, you know, when you're a young man taking her to prom, you took advantage of her. Like, that's not good, right? Satan wants to take advantage of us. And if we're not forgiving one another and sending away our offense that we have towards one another, then we're just playing right into his schemes is what Paul says. You don't think of that, do you? Unforgiveness is one of those little areas in our heart. We think it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Nobody even really knows and I can put a fake smile on and murmur about that person with my wife in the car on the way away, away from church. And Satan loves it. He's like, exactly. Okay. And then First uh, Corinthians 10, this is clearly my order got a little wrong when I was putting things in here. Uh, let's go to three through six. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So there's a spiritual battle going on. And the weapons of our warfare, you're not going to do any good, you know, getting out the rifle and the hand grenade and the knife or the brass knuckles or anything like that. You'll probably just make it worse, okay? And so we've been given these, um, these weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It's kind of our theme. It's our sweatshirt, quoting Phil Wickham, you know, uh, when I fight, I fight on my knees in prayer. And on the back, we got these bullets that are just like, and I'm launching, I'm shooting these out, prayer, I'm going to be fasting about it, I'm going to be quoting scripture about it, I wanted to have like a whole 50 cal like, you know, line of bullets, just like in church and body life and brotherhood and discipleship, you know, all these things, but you know, back of the sweatshirt's only so big, but, uh, but it goes on to say, they're mighty in God, our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds going to rip down that stronghold that the enemy's just got his 50 cal demon machine gun in and casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself to the knowledge of God, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So like this is probably just the big, the big verse. Okay. One of the big verses because our weapons, we go to war and we know what we're doing. And we know, we notice that in those strongholds, there's arguments. This, the Satan knows how to argue. He's been around a little while. He knows how to trick. He, if he can take Jesus out in the desert and be like, I'm going to drive my mojo with you, you know? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? Who do you, think, you know, like you think he's got any problem kind of bringing some thoughts to you and like, hey, what about this and this? And in my reading, I find that the big oppressive demonization that happens in believers' life is in the thought life, okay? And it is, we don't forgive, we don't believe God, we are afraid, and the enemy starts condemning us, and he starts speaking into you all the reasons why Jesus doesn't love you, you're not worth loving, don't go to church because everyone's going to think this about you, you're fat, you're ugly, um, your, your kids think this about you, your buddies, like all the lies, right? And as I've just been praying about this, I just think about what goes on in our church. And I know enough about your guys' lives that I just see that this is majorly real. This is happening. Okay. And I hope you guys are honest. And in the reading that I was reading, the, the guy's just like, I've been around the block enough to tell you this. When you're having thoughts and it's not in the first person where you're just kind of like, man, I really blew it last night. And here I am at church and looking around and Lord, I know what I've done and you know what I've done. Like that's, that's between me and the Lord. But when you are hearing, what is it? Second person singular, you, you, this, and you, that, and you, that, that there's a chance that this is demonic oppression happening. And that slanderer is trying to condemn you and bring condemnation. Now, the beautiful thing is that Romans chapter eight says, who is he who condemns? It's not Jesus. He's at the right hand of the father and he ever lives to make intercession for you. I'm going to throw one, one more at you. Use your discernment. You guys have Bibles, read them. I could be wrong, but the experience behind it is something that I think is worth. This might be true that when those voices in your head are saying we there could be multiple demons that are attacking you and oppressing you and trying to get you to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto yourself and your circumstances and predicaments and condemning you. And we probably all know, if it's not you here, then we all probably know enough people that it's like, man, I was at church with them. She used to drive me to church. My aunt was just such a sweet lady, such a sweet lady. We would go to church to her, but always a little bit just like, you know what? I'm not going to live for Jesus. I'm not going to live for Jesus. And had this little bit of like a twinge of anger. And rightly so. There were a lot of things to be angry about. We lost our ranch. She had in-laws on the ranch that just were very cruel. She lost, I think, three babies to miscarriage, breast cancer, um, kids with health issues. And as sweet as she was, she was like my second mom. I lived with her when my dad had cancer. Uh, one day, she was supposed to go meet her daughter in town in Klamath Falls. Walked out the front door of their uh, trailer 
said goodbye to her husband, said, I forgot my purse inside, walked inside and blew her head off with a Ruger Red Hawk. And you're just like, why in the world does this happen? What, and you begin to like look into her life and the struggles and the things that she told you. And you're like, you know what? There were lies of the enemy and there were arguments that were going on that she never was in a fellowship enough to even be equipped to do something like go to war. She didn't have sisters around her to lift her arms up in the battle. She didn't even know that there's like demonic stuff going on. Um, And this is the grace of God that's bringing you here today so that we can be like, okay, can we just all agree that there's like a spiritual realm? Are we that far gone that like, no, we're just naturalists here. What are we doing? Like, where do you even go when you die, guys? You know, what even happened? How was the fall come about? Okay, so we at least got to let's think this through. Okay. And maybe the pendulum will swing some different ways, but like when those arguments start coming to you and start exalting themselves against God, as they did to Eve in the garden, that now you're going to know better than God. So you've been out of fellowship for a month or two because whatever you've been listening to in your head has been lying to you. And that's better than what God's called us to in the Holy word. You've been listening to demons, man. Don't give place to that. Cast down the stronghold, cast down the argument. It's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And you need to bring those thoughts into captivity and obey Jesus. And so what are those thoughts? And it's so crazy how it's like, there's something there in you that's, it's every time it's this, it's lust or it's depression or it's condemnation or just whatever it is. And it's there and it's constantly there and it's constantly nagging. And we battle against the world. hundred percent. We all know that we don't even need to argue that. And we battle against our flesh. We've had a lot of men's retreats on the flesh and a lot of men's retreats on the world. And this time around, we're emphasizing the spirit. Okay. And so what are those thoughts that are exalting themselves against the Lord? I like what Payne said. Satan attacked Eve's belief that God is good. He didn't tell her that God hated her. He didn't tell her that she had to work for his acceptance or that she wasn't religious enough to please him. The evil one intimated that God was failing to watch out for her best interests. Doesn't seem so bad. Yeah, you know what he is. Barely get to be with my kids, you know, and and now he wants me to go and be involved in body life and spend time reading my Bible and this and that and whatever. And it's like, God's not looking out for me. So I better. That's exalting yourself against the Lord. You got to win the battle in your mind. Win the battle in your head. Where was this or any battle first lost? Does it begin in the bed or in the head? It begins in the head. It begins when you don't believe God concerning propriety in our sex lives. Purity. How God's designed marriage and The marriage bed is honorable above all, but fornicators, God will judge. Adulterers, God will judge. Don't believe God. And so we need to take those thoughts captive and speak truth and scripture over them. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his head, so is he. So we need to start developing the discipline and the spiritual practice of 
by the Spirit, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, we need to start exercising our mind towards godliness, renewing our mind, and start thinking about things that are admirable, pure, noble, and of good report. Substitutive thinking is what uh, is helpful. If I were to tell you, you know, I've, I've got a little two-year-old in my home right now, and kind of as I'm trying to get work done, I just throw on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Oh my goodness. Got Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the brain, right? And if I were to just, you know, have you close your eyes right now and think about Mickey Mouse, and, you know, he's, he's got the, the big ears. You guys all know Mickey Mouse really well, right? Got the big ears and the nose and... He's got the, you know, he's got just a black body and red shorts and yellow buttons on the shorts, right? Little narrow legs that go down to these big yellow shoes. I noticed as I've been watching, how do they get his tail to just whip back and forth like that? You know, just Mickey Mouse. Hey, it's me, Mickey. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just thinking about Mickey right now. Rory, you got me consumed thinking about Mickey. Yeah, black big ears. He's got the black head. I make pancakes about him. I've been to Disneyland. I wear the ears I'm in. The black ears. He's got the, the high-pitched voice. He's got the, the red shorts and the yellow buttons and the yellow shoes and the tail that waves. And Mickey Mouse. He's got the... Stop thinking about Mickey Mouse. Right now, you guys are all still thinking about Mickey Mouse. Hey, it's me, Mickey, right? And if I were to change that and I were to say, okay, guys, think about the Coca-Cola polar bears. The Coca-Cola polar bears. Oh, you know, oh man, there's the big one, right? Like the mom, I'm guessing, you know, and, and the little tiny baby polar bear and they got scarves on and they're sledding around on their bodies all around the snow and they leave those sled trails everywhere they go and they crack open the pop bottle and they're drinking the cold and you're thinking, how are they drinking that cold pop out of that cold day? It's too much coldness. You're not thinking about Mickey anymore, are you? You're totally there with the polar bears drinking the Coke. Okay, And it's the same with our struggles where, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking about lust. I'm thinking about lust. I can't stop thinking about lust. I'm thinking about that buzz or that higher. I got to go there. I got to gamble. I got to gamble. I got to can't stop. I can't stop. I got to stop gambling. Got to stop gambling. It's bad. Gambling is demonic. Gambling, you know, it's like all you're thinking about is gambling. You got to start substitutive thinking. Start thinking about something else. And as we studied on Sunday, we repent from sin and turn to the living God. We flee sexual immorality and we don't just not do anything. Stop doing that. And I'm just going to sit here and wait for life to go by. No, we flee sexual immorality and we pursue righteousness. So we start thinking about those things that are exalting to the Lord. Very quick phrases here. I know that it's uh, 10 o'clock. Okay. Moving right along. We see 2 Corinthians 11 chapter 4. He says that, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 3, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So something that happens in demonic, spiritual, satanic warfare is that our minds are a huge battleground in all this, are corrupted from this, the simple gospel Look down uh, in Ephesians 4, 25, put away lying, okay, goes on to just say in verse 27, Ephesians 4, 27, nor give place to the devil, so be angry, do not sin, nor give place 
to the devil. And so when, whenever we have any part of our heart that we say, everything else is for the Lord, but I've got this unforgiveness, or I've got this fear, or I've got this lying, or I've got this anger, and this part's okay, then that is a foothold opportunity to allow satanic stuff into your life, okay? Uh, the word translated foothold in Ephesians 4.27 uh, or opportunity has several common meanings in the Greek literature that may help with this discussion. According to Bauer, Arndt, and Gingrich's A Greek English lexicon of the New Testament, other early church literature, the word topos or opportunity or foothold can mean an inhabited place, an inhabited space, a place, a location, regions, districts, rooms to live, stay, sit, etc. It's a place where something's found. It's a place where a person's final destiny may bring him. Uh, a place of passage, an office, an opportunity, or a chance. So when Paul tells us that we got to put away lying and put away anger and don't give place to the devil, essentially what he's saying, according to the Greek lexicon here, is don't give Satan a dwelling place in your life. And that kind of kicks it up a notch when we're talking about oppression, demonic oppression in our lives. Whatever it is in your life that you think you know better than the Lord and you're going to go ahead and still lie, cheat, steal, cuss, and do everything else in the world, and you just say, you know what? This, this part's for me. That is a place, an opportunity for Satan to dwell according to the Greek of Ephesians chapter 4. I wish we had time. I don't. I kind of thought maybe this retreat was going to go towards the weapons of our warfare and we're going to go through the armor of God and stuff. It's not where the Lord took me this week. When you look at the, the battle that we're in has weapons and shields and everything that's not carnal, but it's mighty in God and it's spiritual weaponry. We see in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 that above all the armor and weaponry that we would take on, we're to take on the shield of faith. This is Ephesians 6, 16, by which we'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And in Payne's understanding, in the ministry that he has had, the biggest source of just demonic foothold in people's lives are in their thought lives and the things that they don't take captive in obedience to Christ. And it comes in what they call the form of these fiery darts of the wicked one. And it's just, and you just have that shield. It's just a full body shield and you just get behind it and you just let that shield absorb the fiery darts of the wicked one. But what does Paul call that shield? It's the shield of faith. And what does Jesus say about the demoniac and why you couldn't cast out the demon? We studied it just a week ago. Forgive me if you weren't there. This kind, uh, he says, why can we cast out? Because of your unbelief, your lack of faith. That's why fasting is so powerful concerning lifting the spiritual oppression because it is a cure to unbelief. It's a cure to faith, all right? And it helps quench the fiery darts of the wicked one so that when you're getting those lies about who you are before the Lord, and, uh, and why you should just abandon all hope and why you should just end it all and why you should just leave your wife and your kids and why you should just quit being in fellowship and quit going to your core group and quit going to home fellowship, quit going to church, uh, quit, you know, serving the Lord and quit 
serving in the capacity that he's called you to and using your gifts and all these lies that you, you've got to believe the Lord that he is who he is and you are who you are, who he's made you to be and he's given you gifts and he's given you a purpose and he's given you a mission and he loves you enough that he sent his only son to die for you and he's got a plan of paradise for you. And when you just believe those things and confess those things, all that other junk doesn't even matter. Okay? So you get the shield of faith out, right? The most common method of attacks that Payne has discovered in working with believers struggling under demonic affliction is habitual, debilitating, and paralyzing mental accusation. Scripture makes it clear that this is consistent with Satan's strategic operation. Very fast verses you all know. I'm just going to say it. James 4, 7. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee away from you. Or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, uh, we'll look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Last summer, I think it was, the Lord was just doing such a neat work in Polina that we had a baptism out at the Rossi Ranch. And uh, Marcus got baptized and... Uh, Cassie got baptized, and I think Cora Childers got baptized, and maybe another couple, uh, Holly's dad and some others. And uh, so the, it was just really special getting invited out to the Rossi Ranch for this baptism. And Holly just goes, hey, just one thing about the lake that we're going to be baptizing you in, uh, using. It has leeches. Okay, just no big deal. Right? I'm like, Argh! you know, like... <laughs> I've never had a leech on me. I don't really like worms, and let alone worms that fasten to you and suck your life out of you, right? Um, but it was just so good. I'm like, whatever, you know, for the gospel, for Jesus, for baptizing, I'll get a leech on me. Let's do this thing. I got varicose veins. I'll just, you'll see them exploding underwater once they tap into one of those bad boys. Jokes on them much? I think so, okay? And uh, so we go out there and we're baptizing and, you know... Like you think you feel these little nibbles on, you're like, there it is, that's it. I just know it. This is, I'm getting my first leech, you know. And we're baptizing people, and then we lead, we get all out, and we're like, it is a miracle. Like, in the Lord, just faithful in the midst of ministry, just holds back the leeches, you know, and it's just so great. So we had a barbecue, and then the kids all go out swimming, and Todd Teske gets out of the water. <laughs> He's like talking, like, yeah, totally. Then he turns around, and everyone's like, ah! You know, He's got this leech, uh, you know, on his back, just like, glub, 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 you know, and, and Naomi just like took it and flung it, you know, and, and uh, you know, and so someone has once said, like, if you're going to go swimming with the leeches, don't be surprised if you get the leeches sucking the life out of you. And if you are going to position yourself in a place where the enemy is around you and demonic stuff is going on all around you, don't be surprised if you have opened up a foothold for the leeches of demons to just... Find that foothold and start sucking your will to live for the Lord and to have any effectiveness. Uh, it's going to suck it right out of you. Yep. So we got to be wise in where we position ourselves, you guys. Uh, in Luke ten seventeen, and I'm just going to hit the main things. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the 70 returned and said with joy, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw fate, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like talking to a Vietnam War vet or something. It's like, whoa, was it crazy? He's like, I saw things. You know, Jesus is like, I was there when it happened. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then this incredible promise to Christians and disciples. 
Behold, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. My sister had a scripture memory CD back in the 90s, and there was this, I have given you authority. You know, it's just this great memory verse about to trample on snakes and scorpions. Yeah, it's a good memory verse, guys, because you're going to need this after this weekend. Like, we just opened up a portal. No, I'm just joking. Right? But, you know, if the pendulum swings like Frank Peretti novels and then over here, Gospel Coalition, you know, I'm reading Gospel Coalition and they're like, don't even talk about this stuff. And they're like, just talk about the gospel. Like, I like that. I don't think they're wrong. Like, talk about the gospel. Talk about the cross. Talk about what Jesus did. And in this case, Jesus says, you know what? Don't even rejoice that you can trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing will harm you and and that you can cast demons out. Rejoice in this. That this, uh, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Okay? So in all of this, I'm not trying to just get us looking for demons behind every bush. But rejoice in our salvation. And also realize the enemy has tactics that we don't want to be dumb about. Okay? Uh, let me just look for the final, the final goodies as I close you. Um, the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In all of it, you know, even if you just you have a house that's partly inhabited by darkness, the good news is Jesus doesn't intend for it to stay that way. He's maybe enlightening us right now to be working towards interceding and just getting all that junk out and darkness out of our life and, uh, and to rejoice in the victory because he doesn't intend for us to stay in this place of darkness. Or Colossians 2.13, or I'm just going to 15 for the sake of time. He's disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. And in my past experience and friends and um, like epic karate battles that they've had with demons. I've heard of some crazy things. I've talked to guys that were there. And as they've been in the midst of this, the big clincher was when they started talking about the cross of the Lord Jesus and how at the cross, the enemy was disarmed. And then they realize as you're in the midst of it, they don't have any power anymore. And then that's when the victory comes. Jesus, the victor. Um, Romans eight thirty seven. Lots of verses on this stuff. Just I read my room, guys. Ten oh nine. So another memory verse that my friend Mark made into a song when I was in high school sticks to me. Romans eight, the end of Romans chapter eight, verse thirty eight. Well, let's do thirty seven. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And uh, man, that's good hope right there. In the midst of like, are you saying it's hopeless? Don't hear that at all. The thing that I'm getting at today is that there's hope and we got to go to battle and we got to start exposing the works of darkness. Ephesians chapter four tells us, and the Lord wants to actually take what was darkness and twist it and use it for light because that's what he does. Johnny, if you'll come on up and um, we'll start wrapping this up. A quote, uh, to maybe stretch our theology a little bit. 
C. Fred Dickinson, a well-known biblical scholar and noted writer and speaker on the subject of demonic warfare, has clearly explained the historical elements and the development or the etymology of the two words diamazomai and diamazomenos used in the New Testament to describe varying degrees of demonic control experienced by human beings. As I read this, just discernment and then be praying about what's going on and all that you know is going on around you. And, and there may be something that you need to come and get your brothers and we need to go to prayer for you and your family and your body and your marriage and just all these things. In his classic book, Demon Possession and the Christian, A New Perspective, Dr. Dixon wrote that the verb, I'm not going to say I'm, it's diamonzomai, and then there's another one, means to be possessed by a demon. The participle from the same root is used 12 times in the Greek New Testament. It's used only in the present tense, indicating the continued state of one inhabited by a demon or demonized. This participle is components to its structure. First, there's the root diamond, which indicates the involvement of demons. Second is the causative stem is, which shows that there is an active cause in the verb. Third is the passive ending omenos, as in masomenos. No, I'm just kidding. If you don't have anything like that, we'll all fall asleep. This conveys the passivity of the person described as demonized. Putting it all together, the participle in its root form means a demon-caused passivity. This indicates a control other than that of the person who is demonized. He is regarded as the recipient of the demon's action. In other words, demonization pictures a demon controlling a somewhat passive human. Missionaries have indicated for many years that they have had to deal with genuine believers who struggle with demonic bondage. Dick Hills and Ed Murphy of the Overseas Crusade have both shared experiences of this nature in a straightforward, non-exploitive format. The late Merrill Unger acknowledged that the consistent testimonies of trusted missionaries were one reason he changed his position on this issue. In his book, Biblical Demonology, published in 1952, he wrote that true Christians could not be demonized. In 1960, in his classic work, Demons in Our World Today, he reversed his position. These men are not alone in their thinking. Faculty members have existed in solidly evangelical schools who shared the same conviction regarding the possibility of the demonization of Christians. Schools like Talbot Seminary, Western Seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Moody Bible Institute, Wheaton College, Multnomah School of the Bible, and no doubt other respected Christian schools too. What that basically means is there are a lot of good, godly, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people who are out in the trenches way more than you or I are, and they are seeing things that are saying, okay, we got to get back to parsing out the scriptures right because there's too much at stake to just throw out these haphazard, you know, little like half part C of a verse that might not even be what that's talking about. And if it is, it certainly doesn't give a complete answer to everything that we have sitting in our counseling chair in our office right now or sitting next to the bed with us uh, in our house, you know, or the middle school daughter that we have 
that we're just trying to like figure out why isn't she living for Jesus, you know? And so there's a lot more. I got more notes, you guys, but you know, it's 1030, you know, I'm not going to do it to you. But what do we do with this? We go to battle. We fight on our knees. Let's not be afraid anymore. Let's realize spiritual realm, real. Hope to God this person isn't even oppressed, but it may not be mental issues. All right. It may not be physical stuff going on. We need the discernment to know what is going on. And so as we close, okay, um, I'm just going to be down here and uh, just the elders will be down here and pastors of other churches. We're just going to be right here. And all that we're going to do is just say, like, if you, if tonight the Lord's like, there's something going on and these brothers are here with you. That's all we're doing tonight, okay? Is we're just going to be able to acknowledge I'm here and I'm hearing this stuff. And I think the Lord is exposing something that he wants the victory in. And then these brothers are going to just, we're going to start going to prayer with each other and going to to battle. And I love what Joe says whenever I have something hard come up in ministry. He's like, well, Rory, put your mouth guard in, right? And get ready for the punches. But guess what? You're going to come out victorious because you got Jesus. Okay. Um, and then also, I just felt like this was to be the, the Friday night teaching because I think that this may open up tomorrow just for you to just come and talk to me. Everyone else here that's a leader is like, this guy's crazy. This will be our last muster. And, uh, you know, and get the elder board together to discuss this. But, um, but uh, just making ourselves available this weekend to just pray over your situation and just seek the Lord for some discernment on what might be going on. And it could just like, could just be something that's fleshy. Okay. Still bad. Could just be something that's worldly. Still bad. Could be something that's spiritual. Let's go to battle for it. Any of it. Okay. So, um, Lord, here we are humbly before you. We love your word. We love that, uh, your word is profitable for just everything concerning life and godliness. Lord, we know that if it's new, it's not true. So we just use discernment that we're not like getting wrapped up into some weird cultic thing, God. Uh, but that we want to look at what was going on. What, what was going on in the scripture and how have we just numbed ourselves to what is maybe going on today where we don't even pray about it anymore or talk about it. We just make ourselves available to you, the victor, Jesus. You are so powerful. You are so awesome. You're the conqueror. You're mighty. You, you just disarm principalities and powers. Who does that? You did it, Jesus. You just totally slayed them at the cross. They thought, we just confessed today. They thought they had the victory at the cross. You worked them over, Lord. And you won the victory. And then, Lord, you just sealed it when you rose from the dead. We know that the enemy is so terrified and afraid. And just as Revelation tells us, like they know they've got a little time. And so they're just amping up their attacks and their strategies. And, and Lord, we just, Lord, we love each other enough to, I just am not okay with um, just my friends 
just being under attack from the wicked one or their wives or their kids or our church or whatever, Lord. And so, Lord, we just want to be intercessors and, uh, and just bold warriors for your kingdom, Lord. So just have your way tonight. And uh, so I'll just be down here during this song. And um, so, you know, just here for the Lord to move in your life. And you can just come down and all I'm just going to do is pray for you. And uh, as far as I know, like that's where we're going to leave it. And if you see someone that's a friend of yours or from your church or your home group or your ministry, come up and you can just pray for them with me.
anybody else just had some brothers come down? Just you just come down right now and just join this group of guys that, uh, man, I just, Nate, just been on my heart all teaching for this. And if you know Nate well, you just know what's going on in his life and um, just some someone that we can fight for. And anybody else, you just know, like, I don't know what it is, but the Lord's like, you need to have your brothers fight for you right now. And you need to have your brothers fight for your, your life, your soul, um, for your family. Uh, just don't miss out on this opportunity. And I think it's just going to set the pace for just what the Lord does in you this weekend. Anybody else? All right. Good to see you. Jake, will you pray for uh, Brazil, right? Who else came down just for this? Um, Gabe, awesome. Jamie, you coming down for this prayer too? Okay, anybody else? You're here? Okay, yeah. Oh, Andy, totally. Anybody else? Father God, we just want to still in Brazil and the Lord's Father, we just ask in the Lord in Jesus' name to lend the dark Lord, anything that's plaguing me, Lord, any temptation, Lord, that is trying to draw out the darkness, Lord, we pray that you would suppress that and moderate the reserve
Johnny, why don't you go ahead and just lightly sing, and we'll just lightly worship and just sing over these guys. Just a, a, a light closer song, and there's still prayer going on, and more prayer to be had. Just you can come down and just um, ask guys for prayers. Come tug on a guy. Daniel's our speaker here this week, and he's in the bright yellow shirt. Go beeline for him, and he'll be praying for you. And look for Chris, look for Perry, look for Joe, look for... Johnny's playing the guitar for Adam, you know, Dustin, Cloud, just, Johnny, just go, go to someone, go find someone to pray for you, and, yeah. I mean, the guy next to you would probably pray for you, so there's <laughs> no shortage of guys here for you, Lord, just, uh, thank you, just for just Daryl's
I know that it's late, 10.50, and um, I just just make myself available here tonight. If you need prayer, if you need to talk, if there's just some specific things that it's like the Lord is just giving you some discernment into what's going on, and you just need just someone in the battle with you, I just make myself available. You might need to wait a little bit, or maybe you want to stick around to pray with people. Um, any elders uh, or pastors that want to stick around um, and just kind of see what the Lord might do in this room, um, just, just make ourselves available for you guys. But I know it's late, and you guys have been up all day and working hard, and I took a 20-minute nap before I came, so I'm all <laughs> that, that explains That's it. Yeah, 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 that explains it. Yeah. So, uh, love you guys. What a powerful, powerful Absolutely. Night. And anyone that came forward for a prayer, I just, um, just in all the things that are on my heart, I don't think it's over right here. I think this is where like more conversations and discernment and um, just how we need to just be praying for the victory. And as you go down the hill back home, you know, that it, it just don't slump into it and kind of get back in that. But we would see freedom um, won and, and the weaponry just made available for when you get back down there. So, um, so just... If there's something the Lord kind of shows you, like tomorrow, like, I need to talk to Rory about this, or I need to talk to one of the other guys, um, just grab us and talk to us, because I really want to shoot some skeet and hoops and, you know, shuffleboard and all that fun stuff, but I'm kind of just really confident the Lord's wanting to work in your guys' lives Amen. throughout the day, so we just make ourselves av- available for you guys. I do need a drink of water, but then I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs sleep? Today? Get some good rest tonight, guys. Uh, Johnny has a big bag of earplugs. Nice. Do you know where that is? My cabin. That does not help. <laughs> Maybe one of, you, one of your boys could run and grab it and bring it back here. Is that possible? Thanks, Saya. We love you, buddy. We'll put it on the table out here. Right, Saya? So if you need earplugs... Definitely don't go to your cabin without them. If you're in my cabin, you're going to need them. Russell will be there. Oh, yeah. You were recording this earlier. Yes. The phone has been recording. Oh, perfect. That's good.